Well, I invite you to take your Bibles once again and turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Looking to the words spoken of Jesus in verses 14 through 16 of John chapter 10, in the continuation of our series on God's amazing grace, the question I want to ask and answer tonight is, is God's saving grace triumphant? Is God's saving grace triumphant? Or, asked in another way, can Jesus fail? in His mission to seek and to save His sheep? Can God's saving purposes be overpowered or frustrated by sinful, finite men? And at the heartbeat of these questions is the predominant central question as it pertains to the salvation of men's souls. Whose will is more powerful, man's will or God's will? John chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, we have the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Alpha, Omega, the beginning and in He which was and is and is to come, the Almighty. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, And one shepherd. Well, if you will, look down to verse 26. Jesus says to the unbelieving Jews, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, without re-preaching my sermon from last week, let me briefly summarize several clear foundational truths that Jesus is emphasizing from these verses. And truth number one is the indisputable truth that Jesus is the good shepherd. And as the Good Shepherd, He is the sovereign owner and possessor of an exclusive sheepfold. Verse 7 and verse 9 highlight the fact that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is the door of the sheep, meaning that it is through Him and by His allowance that the sheep enter into His sheepfold. So there we have truth number one. Jesus is the good shepherd. The second truth that we find in this passage is the repeated truth that there are particular sheep 
that Jesus knows individually and is dying for personally. Notice verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. There's truth number one. And know my sheep. And this knowledge Jesus has of his sheep is not merely an intellectual knowledge, but a relational, saving knowledge. Jesus knows his sheep by name. Jesus is seeking them out individually and is dying for each one of his sheep specifically. Again, let's let the scripture answer. Verse 10, I am come that they, the sheep, might have life, and that they, the sheep, might have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, not just intellectually, but intimately. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's truth number two. There are particular sheep that the Good Shepherd knows individually and is dying for exclusively. Now, am I stretching anything here? Am I adding or taking away from Jesus' words? Are my points thus far in agreement with the biblical text? I hope you are seeing these truths are very simple and easy to understand. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd has come to earth to lay down his life for the sheep so that the sheep might know the good shepherd in a personal and saving sense. Now, the third clear foundational truth shining from this text is the truth that those whom Jesus knows individually and is dying for personally will hear his voice, will follow him, and there will be one fold. Now, notice the divine guarantee spoken by Jesus beginning in verse 16. And pay close attention to the shalls. The shalls are promises. They are things that will happen. Verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Verse 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Notice that definite nature of these words spoken by God who cannot lie. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And the truth Jesus is emphasizing here is the fact that God's will will be done. In fact, from His sovereign perspective, it already has been done. So summarizing the three foundational truths one more time. Truth number one, Jesus is the good shepherd. 
And specifically, he is the good shepherd who is laying down his life for his sheep. And connected with this truth is the truth that Jesus is the door. Who is he the door of? Verse 7. He is the door of the sheep. Truth number two. There are particular sheep that Jesus knows individually and is dying for personally. And then truth number three, the particular sheep that Jesus knows individually and is dying for personally will hear his voice and they will follow him. Now let's go back to my opening question and answer them in the light of what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Is God's saving grace triumphant? Is the salvation that Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, has brought about through His death, burial, and resurrection effectual? Well, if we are honest with the text, we have to answer a conclusive yes and amen. God's saving grace in Christ is triumphant. The text says that Jesus will save his sheep, they will hear his voice, they will follow him, and there will be one fold. The promises of God are yea and amen to the glory of God. Okay, asking the same question from a different angle. Can Jesus fail in his mission to save his people from their sins? That's why he has come, Matthew one twenty one. That's the angelic proclamation. And his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall, notice the definite word there, he shall save his people from their sins. So can Jesus fail in that mission? The answer is no. And again, we have John 10 confirming this truth. The good shepherd is a successful savior. In the verses we have just read, we find that Jesus has promised to give his sheep eternal life, and Jesus verifies the fact that they will never perish. Okay, different question, same topic. Can God's saving purposes in Christ be overpowered or frustrated by sinful, finite humans? The obvious answer is no. How do we know this to be true? We know this to be true because the text tells us. Verse 8 and verse 10. Jesus says in verse 8 and verse 10 that though there are thieves and robbers and strangers, verse 5, speaking of false prophets and teachers who teach a message contrary to the truths of God's word, Such obstacles cannot and will not prevent the good shepherd from saving his sheep. Which means then that Christ's sheep will not ultimately believe a false gospel and follow any other voice but his. God's saving purposes in Christ cannot be overpowered or frustrated by created Sinful, finite, puny men. So then we come to this question. As it pertains to the salvation of men's souls, whose will 
is more powerful, God's will or man's will? Again, if we're honest with the text, if we interpret Jesus' words as they are given to us, the natural conclusion is God's will. The sheep have a will, but in the end, their will will choose to follow Jesus. The thieves, robbers, strangers, the wolves in sheep's clothing have a will. What's their will? Their will, the text tells us, their purpose, their desire is to steal, kill, and to destroy. So will their will prevail over God's will? No. So whose will will be done? God's. Whose will is being done? God's. So the question at hand tonight. If these things are so, the primary question that needs to be asked in answer is the how question. If God's saving grace is triumphant, if God's saving purposes in Christ cannot be overpowered or frustrated by sinful, finite men, and God's will is more powerful than man's will, how then does Jesus accomplish his will in saving his sheep? The answer is found, John chapter 10, verse 3. Notice it, John chapter 10, verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Now, I want you to take careful notice of the word calleth, And the phrase, he calleth his own sheep by name. Let me read it to you again. To him, that is the shepherd, the porter or the gatekeeper, speaking of God the Father, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. There is the answer regarding how the good shepherd accomplishes his will in saving his sheep. He calls them out from their sin, from the world, unto him by name. And this call of God has been traditionally been referred to as God's effectual Call And God's effectual call is the process whereby He actually seeks and victoriously saves His sheep. So using verse 3 as a launching pad, I want to expound on this truth further by showing you from other texts that this truth is in agreement. This truth is in harmony with 
the whole counsel of God's word. Lest you think that I'm taking one verse out of context, creating some bizarre unscriptural doctrine from it, I want you to turn with me to several biblical texts and observe for yourself that this calling unto salvation not only occurs, but cannot be ultimately resisted by Christ's sheep. So setting this truth into two main points, I want to show you first that there is a unique personal calling of Christ's sheep unto salvation. That's point number one. There is a unique personal calling of Christ's sheep unto salvation. And I think it's best to start in speaking about the specific calling of God unto salvation in the calling of the Gentiles. So if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. To the right, Acts chapter 11. And looking to Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18, we read of Peter giving testimony to the church in Jerusalem regarding that which has happened in Acts chapter 10. Namely, God sending Peter to the Gentiles and specifically Cornelius' house, and Peter is recalling how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles as it did on the Jews. It was a mini Pentecost in Acts chapter 10, similar to what happened in Acts chapter 2. Look at the words, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. Peter says, And as I began to speak, The Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them, speaking of the Gentiles, the like gift as he did unto us, the Jews, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, What was I that I could withstand God? Now pause there for a moment. Peter says, what power, what right did I have to oppose the will of God in saving a people that he wants to save? Verse 18. Here's the response from the elders in the church in Jerusalem regarding Peter's testimony about what happened At Cornelius' house, when they, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, heard these things, they were shocked. They were dumbfounded. They held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And there is God's effectual call, recognized by the elders in the church of Jerusalem. Did you notice what they said? They said that God grants, God gives repentance unto life. God turned them to Himself. Now wait a minute, the text says that God hath granted repentance to the Gentiles. Should we then assume that all Gentiles will be saved? No, only those who believe will be saved. Those who are his sheep will be saved. The text is referring to those who were saved and baptized in Acts chapter 10. 
God specifically, individually called them unto himself. And if you will go back and read the whole account of Acts chapter 10, and I would encourage you that you do sometime. Go read the whole of Acts chapter 10 and see that God did it all. God prepared the soil. Speaking of the heart of Cornelius and his household. God brought the sower of the seed. Speaking of Peter. And in that bringing of the sower, he gave visions to both Peter and Cornelius. And remember, God had to break Peter of his stubborn will. It was Peter who said, I'm not going to go to the Gentiles. And God said, yes, you are. So God prepared the soil. God brought the sower of the seed. God sent down the rain, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And God gave a harvest of soul. It's God, 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 and God. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, uniquely and personally called Cornelius a Roman centurion and his household unto himself. This was in all fulfillment of what God had promised through the prophets. Remember the Old Testament scriptures? The Gentiles will be engrafted into the vine. We thought salvation was only for the Jews. No, salvation is for the world. And here we see the fulfillment of God's plan. Here we see God's will being done hundreds of years after prophecy was being spoken by the prophets. God granted repentance unto life. God called Cornelius personally, individually. Now, if you will, turn over two chapters to Acts chapter 13. I'm looking to Acts chapter 13, verses 46 and 48. We have the written record of Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary journey and their dealings with certain Jews who resisted their message. It was the custom of Paul to go into the synagogue to preach to the Jew first. On the Sabbath day. And then in that, use it as a pathway to reach the Gentiles. So here Paul is directing his message at the Jews. Acts 13, beginning in verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you. Speaking of the Jews in the synagogue. But seeing ye put it from you. And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord hath commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Now notice the words of verse 48. It does not say as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. It says as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. This is Christ's effectual calling. The calling of His sheep. 
And this wording is consistent with Jesus' words back in John chapter 10. Christ sheep believe because Christ died for them. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Certain of the Jews did not believe because they were not Jesus' sheep. But certain of the Gentiles believed because they were Christ's sheep. Now turn over to Romans chapter 8. Keep turning right. Next book over, Romans chapter 8. And looking to Paul's familiar words in Romans 8, verses 28 through 30, we read of these comforting, encouraging words. Romans 8, beginning in verse 28. And we, who's the we? Context is the church in Rome, Christians, those who've been born again. And we know that all things work together for good. To who? To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. Synonymous term, foreordain. For whom he did choose, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. As I showed you last week, what Paul says here fits perfectly what what Jesus says back in John chapter 10. Let me break it down for you. My sheep, there's election. Hear my voice. There's the effectual calling of God unto salvation. And I know them. There's justification. And they follow me. There's sanctification. There's the perseverance of the saints. There's the preservation of God. And I give unto them eternal life. There is glorification. These things are beautiful. These things speak with one harmony and one voice over and over and over and over. Now turn over with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just before 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verses 13 and 14. The Bible says here, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved. Beloved, we love Him. Because he first loved us. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, Who, speaking of God, hath saved us, and called us with an holy calling, Not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Are you beginning to see the repetitive themes? Jesus has his sheep. He has known them before they were born, yea, before this world was created. And he is seeking and saving them according to his sovereign will. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, But ye are a chosen generation. That word chosen is synonymous with the word elect. Ye are a chosen generation. Who is? God's people. God's sheep. Those who've repented and believed on the gospel. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Catch it. A peculiar, a special people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So there are some texts detailing Christ's effectual call. I could stand here all night and start at Genesis, go through Revelation and show you instance after instance after instance that what Jesus says in John chapter 10 is valid and true when he says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Why and how do they follow him? Verse 3, John chapter 10, because Jesus is personally calling their name and calling them out of sin unto himself. Now, to build upon these truths, let me give you three biblical illustrations of this effectual calling. So we have the doctrine. That's the theology. Scripture after scripture after scripture giving us that which is true. Now, let me give you some biblical illustrations of that which is true. And I think the greatest, most soul-stirring illustration we have in our Bibles is found in the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9, we have the amazing account of Jesus Christ turning the will of one of the most hard-hearted, stubborn, self-righteous, hypocritical people that this world has ever known. Here was a man, Saul of Tarsus, on his way to persecute the church of God. Here he was as a dragon, breathing threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord. He hated Christ, and he hated with a passion Christ's people. You got that in your mind? Here was a man, this dragon, who thought himself to be right with God. He thought he was doing God's will. Here was a man blind as blind can be, lost as lost can be, and at once, on the road to Damascus, at once, Christ humbled Saul. Christ 
shine the light of the gospel into his dark heart. Christ caused him to hear truth about his rebellion against God and his need for a savior. And Saul of Tarsus believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at once we read, Saul followed Jesus and preached Jesus in the synagogues. And the truth I want to point out in the occasion of Saul's conversion is the truth that out of all those that Saul traveled with, Jesus, the good shepherd, called his name. Acts 9 verse 4 tells us that Saul fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, who art thou, Lord? Who's speaking to me? Whose voice am I hearing? I am Jesus. The others, traveling with Saul, heard a voice. But they didn't see a man. They heard a voice, but did not have the direct message preached to them as Saul had preached to him. Why? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I find it interesting also. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that Jesus tells Ananias that Saul is, quote, a chosen vessel to go to the Gentiles. I think the Lord, on purpose, chose the most stubborn, most hard-hearted, most hypocritical, most arrogant man to save so he can show this world that Christ Jesus has come to save sinners, as Paul says, of whom I am chief. So don't write off anyone. Don't look at any drunk or any drug dealer or any pimp or prostitute and say, they'll never be saved. You don't know that. God can save anyone he wants to. If he can save Saul of Tarsus, he can save Anyone. All right, so there we have an illustration of Saul, a chosen vessel unto the Lord. And guess who speaks about these truths more than anyone beside Jesus? These truths of grace, Saul. Because he wasn't seeking after God. He wasn't going to Bible studies. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was zealous to keep the law. And yet God in his grace pursued him. So Paul, of course, is going to sing one tune, the grace of God in Christ Jesus. By the grace of God, I am what I am. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Search the writings of Paul, and that's his one theme. God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Ephesians chapter 1, the first half of Ephesians, God's grace. Colossians, God's grace. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. All of God, nothing of Him. Now another wonderful illustration of God's calling unto salvation is the conversion of Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, and once again, for sake of time, I cannot go into all the details of the passage, but I do want to remind you that before 
Lydia heard the saving message of the gospel spoken by Paul, God, through his spirit, prevented Paul from going into Asia and led him to the city of Thyatira through a God-given vision. Now, catch what I just said. I said it was Paul's will to go to Asia. And God directed Paul's will to go where God wanted him to go so that God's will might be done in the saving of a soul. Acts 16, verse 14, we read that, quote, A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. That's interesting, isn't it? Here she was, a religious person. She was externally worshipping the Lord, but she was unregenerate. She has not yet believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many who have a form of godliness, but are not born again. This is Lydia. She was worshiping God. She said her prayers. She did everything she knew to do as far as religious things were concerned. But the text goes on and said that Lydia heard us. She heard the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And as she is hearing the preaching of the Apostle Paul, the text says, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Jesus' words, John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Christ, the good shepherd, led Paul to Lydia, one of his sheep. Christ, the good shepherd, called her by name. And she attended to the things which were spoken of Paul. There's the effectual calling of Christ. The effectual calling of Christ is synonymous with God opening the heart. God causing someone to see their desperate need of Christ. God making one willing to repent and believe the gospel. Here she was worshiping God in an external sense. But as Paul preached the gospel... She believed on that gospel and was gloriously saved as God opened her heart. In the same chapter, we have the illustration of the calling of the Philippian jailer. You know the account. This jailer was not attending church services. He was not reading his Bible. From what we can tell, he was disinterested in hearing what Paul and Silas had to say about Jesus that they were preaching about. And we know this because when Paul and Silas were singing and praising God at midnight, he was sound asleep. Yet what do we read? We read there in that passage, Acts 16, that at once God sent an earthquake. God prevented the other prisoners from escaping. God stopped this jailer from falling on his own sword. And God caused this man to ask the question of all questions, What must I do to be saved? And he was gloriously saved. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. In God's sovereign leading, the good shepherd directed Paul and Silas through difficult circumstances for being falsely accused, for being faithful to the Lord. They were beat. 
thrown in prison for doing right, but God was directing it all. God, Jesus, the good shepherd, was directing Paul and Silas to that jail cell at that time to call another one of his sheep to himself. Amazing truth. And listen, this is true of you. If you are in Christ, if you know Christ savingly, if you've been born again, God in His grace and God in His sovereignty arranged the circumstances of your life so that you might hear His voice. Think about it. You could have been born in a Muslim nation. You could have been born in a family that hates God. God ordained what country you were going to be born in, what city you were going to be born in. He ordained what friends and influences you would have in your life. God ordained what churches would be nearby you growing up. God ordained whether or not you had Christians who would be a light to you in your own family. God in His sovereignty, God in His grace, has called you unto himself. He has saved you from this perverse, evil world. And the scripture tells us that God broke through your resistance. God humbled you. God opened your heart. God caused you to see your need for a savior. God made you willing to come to him. God caused you to want him. God recognized that you could, or God caused you to recognize that you could not save yourself. God rescued you from your careless and hopeless condition. You believed. Yes, of course. No man can come to Christ unless they believe. But you did not have the power to believe on Christ until Christ revealed to you the saving power of Jesus Christ. Is that biblical? Of course it is. The Spirit quickens. The flesh provides nothing. That's what Jesus says. It's the Spirit that gives life. Your flesh provides nothing. But as many as received Him, you must receive Him. But as many as received Him to them... Gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were spiritually born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So man does receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be saved. Man must believe. He must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But apart from God's intervention, He won't know what to believe. Is the Book of Mormon right? Are the Muslim scriptures right? Is Scientology right? How many religions, how many religious books do we have in this world? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer in the Bible because you are somehow smarter than those in hell? No. In no wise. Well, how did you come to see that Jesus is the answer? You've been made wise through the Holy Scriptures by the enlightenment of God. That's what Paul tells of Timothy. And that thou hast known the Holy Scriptures that have made thee wise unto salvation. The voice of God made Timothy wise. Timothy did not make himself wise. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So what hope is there for the fool? God's wisdom 
in the power of the preached message of the cross. In our sin, we cannot distinguish Christ's voice. In our sin, we think Christ's voice is harsh, too demanding. In our sin, we follow our own foolish voice and the many erroneous voices of this world. But when the Spirit illuminates, when the Spirit regenerates us, when Christ seeks us, when Christ speaks His voice to our hearts through His Word, we follow Him because we see that He is a good, gracious, faithful, merciful, long-suffering, gentle, and loving Savior. We see Him as He is once He takes the scales off of our eyes. And let me briefly add here that the effectual call of God unto salvation is generally accompanied by the voice of the gospel through the preaching of God's word. Now I say generally because like Saul's case, there are instances where Christ is the preacher of his own word. Ananias came alongside and added to that message, but Christ spoke to the heart of Saul of Tarsus. But most of the time, the effectual call of God unto salvation is accompanied by the preaching and the presenting of God's Word. And that's why we preach. That's why we uplift the importance of coming to church and inviting the lost to come to a place where they can hear the Word of God because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Acts chapter 2, what did Peter do? What won the lost unto Christ? Did he have a drama show? Did he just sing music? Did he have a PowerPoint? No, he preached. And that preaching was personal. And through that preaching, God opened the hearts of 3,000, caused them to cry out like the Philippian jailer, what must we do to be saved? And they were gloriously saved. The same is true about Jesus going throughout all Israel. He preached about himself. He preached how he is the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. He is the promised seed. Philip took the scriptures and showed the eunuch that if he would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he can be saved. Acts chapter 10, Peter preached. To Cornelius, Paul's missionary journeys, he went into the synagogue as he preached the truth of Scripture. Some of the Jews believed as he went to the Gentiles and preached the truth of Scriptures. The Gentiles came to faith in Christ through the great awakenings. What is the sole element of people coming to faith in Christ? It's the preaching. The preaching of George Whitfield, the preaching of Jonathan Edwards, the preaching of the Wesleys, yea, and even the preaching of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Thousands saved under his ministry. How? Through the Word of God. And through such preaching, listen, the voice of the Good Shepherd calls his sheep through his Word. The Word of God is a light that illuminates and regenerates. And you know this. If you've come to faith in Christ, you can look back to a church. You can look back to a preacher, to preaching, to specific sermons. You can look back to personal evangelistic outreaches of a co-worker, of a spouse, 
of a child, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle who preached to you the way of salvation. And through that, God broke through your stubborn heart. The word is as a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So there's point number one. As it pertains to the effectual calling of God, there is a unique, personal calling of Christ's sheep unto salvation. And I recall the voice so clearly as a 16-year-old at a camp, Warm Beach, Stanwood, Washington. The message was preached all week long. Do you know the Lord? Have you been born again? If you were to die tonight, are you 100% sure that you would be welcomed into the kingdom of God? Christ's voice through that word speaking to me. Speaking, speaking, speaking. Until I cried out, Lord, Lord have mercy upon me. You can recall the voice, can't you? If you've come to faith in Christ, you can recall the time, the instance, the circumstances where God was knocking on your door and He didn't stop knocking. He didn't quit pursuing you. Though you turned Him away, though you said no, though you were nasty to other Christians and you rebelled over and over and over again and guess what? He kept pursuing you until you bowed to his authority joyfully. Now, very quickly, let me give you point number two. When Christ calls his sheep by name, he separates them from the world to himself. Now, don't forget what Jesus said in John chapter 10. To him, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Leadeth them out of what? From the fold of sin that they were in. In salvation, the good shepherd finds his sheep and leads them out of the world, out of their danger, out of their ignorance, out of the way of destruction. And the good shepherd brings them under his care. Are you beginning to see the beauty of salvation? Are you beginning to see that salvation is not just some quick decision that man makes so he can just escape the flames of hell? Are you beginning to see the emptiness of this widely accepted doctrine of carnal Christianity, this truth that you can be a Christian and not obey His voice and follow Him? Listen, either Jesus is telling us truth or He is speaking lies. Either Jesus leads his sheep out of their previous lifestyle or not. Either they, his sheep, become a new creation in him, as the scripture says, or Jesus has failed in some respect. I choose to believe that scripture is true and reliable and that Jesus is a successful Savior. I choose to believe that God cannot fail in his mission to save his people from their sins. You choose what you want to believe, but my will has been persuaded by the power of God's word that these things are true. So the question, 
Can grace be resisted? Answer, yes. Of course. It's always resisted. Man in his sin, stubbornness, blindness, and arrogancy will continuously resist bowing before Jesus' sovereign authority. But I am submitting to you this evening from Scripture that though God's grace is always resisted, it will not be ultimately resisted by those who are Christ's sheep. God in His grace will overcome their resistance. God in His grace will make His sheep tender to the message of the gospel so that they will want to believe on Christ for salvation. If you get mad at that, you've got a strange view of God. If you don't want God to break through your life, then by default, then you want eternal hell. You want destruction. You want the lake of fire. God in His goodness pursued you. Oh, to the praise of the glory of His grace that has made us accepted in the beloved. So what are the applications of this truth? Same applications as last week. Number one, Jesus is a successful Savior. Jesus does not fail. So knowing this, it's our calling to believe it, to rejoice in it, and to unashamedly proclaim it to this world. Jesus is a successful Savior. He is the Almighty. Though man resists His will, God's will will ultimately be done. Application number two. God's evangelistic mission cannot fail. His will will be done. Jesus will call His sheep. Jesus said, I will build my church. Is He speaking of a building with two by fours? What's He talking about? I will build my church. Speaking of souls. He's speaking of sheep. He's speaking of His people, His bride. He's speaking of lively stones. I will build my church, catch it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who belongs to the gates of hell? John 10. The thieves, those desiring to steal, kill, and to destroy. The wolves, Jesus said, they're not going to win. God's purposes cannot be thwarted by the will of man. Is God's saving grace triumphant? Scripture tells us, yes. Amen. To the glory of God.